<laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for all of your precious children that have gathered here today. Thank you for opening up our hearts and minds to receive from you, opening those spiritual eyes and ears that we may receive this precious manna from heaven. Thank you, Lord, that it's only from you. Anything from me, let it just fall on deaf ears, Lord. But everything from you, Lord, let them take it in, protect it, and let it take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, turn to the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. Hallelujah. Tomorrow's Flag Day, everybody. Thank you for this great nation that we live in. I'm flying my flag already, but if you haven't got one, maybe I think about flying it. We're still the greatest nation in this world. Amen. Founded on this book right here. I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) And he will prevail. Amen. Amen. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read, starting in the 46th verse, down to the 52nd. Familiar passage of scripture about someone formerly known as blind Bartimaeus. We can just call him Bartimaeus now, amen. Because Jesus came along. (laughs) Let's let's listen. And they came to Jericho. And he was leaving, as he was leaving Jericho, talking about Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, And say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. Hallelujah. Oh, I love that story. I love it so much. You know, old Bartimaeus, the clothing that he wore during those times distinguished him as a beggar. They were... They had special markings or what have you on there. 
so that everyone knew that he was a beggar. So when he stood up and threw off that garment, he was saying, I'm finished begging. He believed that Jesus would heal him and he received when he acted upon his faith. Amen. Amen. While he was blind, Bartimaeus, he couldn't, he couldn't see those garments, could he? But he still knew that others could. And because... Of the garments that he wore and his lot in life, he wasn't admired or respected. He, he was rather pitied or tolerated. But he wasn't treated like everyone else. I'm sure that Bartimaeus hated the difference in the standard of privileges imposed on him. Upon him, and I'm sure that he dreamed what it would be like to have his sight. I mean, don't you? Don't you think he did? I do. Romans ten seventeen says that so faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Depending on what translation you read most people know it as hearing and hearing by the word of god same thing but i like i like the, i like when they use christ in, in my in my english english standard version the niv they use christ and that's proper because in the greek it was christos and thank god that they mean the same thing Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? But to someone who already says they believe in God, they just don't believe in Jesus, I think it's important that it's translated as Christ, don't you? So Bartimaeus heard about Jesus. He heard... He he heard the active word of Christ as it was being played out. Amen. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> you getting that? And so, as he heard about Jesus healing the blind people, and he's sitting there begging day after day, he started thinking, what would it be like, you okay? What would it be like to have my sight? And, Hope began to rise up within Bartimaeus. Made up his mind. He prepared his heart for his miracle. It's very important. If Jesus comes by here, nothing's going to stop me from receiving my sight I'll never beg again and he started picturing these things in his mind he started seeing it amen 
He started dreaming of a productive life where he didn't have a beggar's cloak. He started using his godly imagination. We think of the imagination as something usually wicked and usually in this world and culture it is. But a godly imagination is just Christian hope. Mm-hmm. Amen. So he wanted a life. He started hoping. He started seeing. He started having a vision in his heart, even though he couldn't see yet. And that's so important, folks. You have to prepare your heart to receive. Some of the things that we need to receive from God are reflecting on one of the major things is humility, which I will preach on for many, many, many weeks at some point. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> we have to seek God. In humility, forgive others, forgive ourselves. But the key that I want to talk about today is love. But not maybe how you think, because remember, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of opposites. What do I mean by that? Was in Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus says, "Believe that you have what you pray for when you pray, and you shall have it." That seems backwards. The world says, "Yeah, well, let me see it, and I'll believe it." Jesus says, "You'll never see it. Believe you have it now, and then you will have it." In Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said something to John that is very sobering to most Christians. Revelation chapter 2, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And To the angel of the church of Ephesus, starting in the first verse, write, he's telling John what to write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus talking here. (laughs) I know your works, he told them. He's talking to the church. He said, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. He's complimenting them. I, 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 I... I recommend you take this example. We call it a praise sandwich. When you want to bring loving correction, you should always say something kind first. And then slide it in there, and then follow it up with the other good things to end it off, okay? I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
And he tells them to repent and so forth. But that, I like that in the King James, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Sometimes the King James just gets it right. What I like about the King James is, you know, once you translate it into English, is that when they didn't understand something or didn't sound like it was in the right way, they just interpreted the way it was. They didn't try to fix it, you see. You've left your first love, he said. I have this against you. A lot of Christians cringe at this statement because it reminds them of their shortcomings when it comes to loving God. Let's just face it. You ever feel like you fall short at loving God? <laughs> but that's not really what they're saying here. Not, he's not just saying returned how we first loved Him or were in love with Him, but how... He first loved us. He's talking about, and this needs to be something we're rooted and grounded in. It has to be a revelation. The light bulb has to go on regarding the love of God because he's pointing to the relationship, the intimacy. Have you ever read the Song of Solomon? You'll quit reading all those silly paperbacks if you just read the Bible. <laughs> Way better. Woo. A little sultry sometimes. <laughs> but he's, talk, he's talking, he's referring to your relationship with him. When you fell in love with him. And, how, and you realize how much he loved you. And you loved him for it. First John four nineteen. First John four nineteen says, We love because he first loved us. Right? We can't put the cart before the horse. This is so important. This is one of those things that once, it's like that day, I, I talk about it sometimes in ninth grade algebra, when I dreaded the class, I hated going there, I didn't understand it, I didn't want to go back every single day, I dreaded it, it was the longest walk, that 30 foot from my locker to that class, and then one day, I got it. Then there wasn't a single problem, I could just give it to him, give it to him, give it to him. The light bulb went on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it never worked in trig. I don't but this is one of those things you need. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to make the light bulb go on because all things stem out of this in your Christian walk. Amen. We always talk about Christians needing to love others, and that's true. There's no doubt about it. John 13, 35 says that this is how the world is going to recognize true believers is our love for one another. So we can't pass that over. 
But we can't give away what we haven't received, folks. This is the major point. Until we have a true revelation of His love for us, we can't truly love others or ourselves. Some people think it's humility to not show too much love for yourself. Well, you're supposed to love others as you love yourself. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. (laughs) But if you don't have a revelation of the love that the Lord Jesus has for you, that Father God has your picture in His wallet, and that the Holy Spirit is your best friend, He's right here to lead you and guide you. Talk about, He's the revelator. He's the regulator. He's the teacher. He's the one that comes alongside to help you through and to guide you all the way through this life to your eternal destiny with your heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. You have to know that you know that you know that He loved you before you ever committed any of your sins. He already knew what they all were going to be. And he already died for them. Don't do the double jeopardy thing. You know? You know what that means? (laughs) Don't pay for the same crime that he's already paid for. That's an insult to him. One of the biggest blessings you can give the Lord is to receive from him everything that he's died to provide you with. Makes him very happy. But until you know how much he loves you, it's like trying to give somebody a drink from a dry well. It's impossible. You can't live the supernatural Christian life that we're called to in your own strength. Not only are the multitudes of believers trying to do that, but preachers too. And they end up worn out and washed up and depressed and just throw up their hands and sort of legalism, you know. It's like my wife grew up in a Pentecostal church that was just, well, in her words, she said, well, we were were told we were all going to hell anyway, so we figured we might as well enjoy it while we're here. Then I came along and <laughs> said, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Tavon. <laughs> but we made it out. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Galatians two twenty says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh is no longer I who live. But I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Our life is not supposed to be lived out of our own strength. It's supposed to be us just getting out of the way, allowing Jesus to live through us. Amen? It's part of that, what Paul beseeched us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Which is really, I believe, very akin to, if we want to get into the purpose of, of man and life, which Jesus described, that defined eternal life in John seventeen three, when he was praying to the Father. And he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God and that intimate, passionate, personal relationship is eternal life. That begins not when you get to heaven and get the keys to your mansion on the hilltop, but right now, the moment you receive the Lord as your Savior, you have entered in. Now you need to struggle, the Bible says, endeavor to enter that rest. See what I mean about the opposites? Faith doesn't make sense to the world, folks. But it makes perfect sense to those who know the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He has provided a Sabbath rest. That's why we don't go to church on Saturdays, folks. (laughs) Because He fulfilled all that. He is that rest. That's why He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Our friend or my friend, Pastor Rich Van Winkle, who has a a church up in uh, Dallas area, he has a book, and it's called As He Is, So Are We. Coming from 1 John 4, 17, it says, "As, As He is, Jesus, so are we in this world. In this world. And on the cover of the book, I, was, I told Tavana, grab, grab Pastor Van Winkle's book this morning and let me see it. And I looked at it and, and sure enough, it, on the cover it has a picture of a young man looking in the mirror. The reflection in the mirror is Jesus. And it just says a lot. It says a lot. Galatians 5, 6 says that faith worketh by love. Amen? But see, love is the fruit, not the root. Again, I'm trying to show you the opposites. If you think that love is mandated in order to earn God's favor and His acceptance, then you've placed yourself under the law again. Even though Jesus has removed it, set it aside, and made you free. And Romans, oh, Romans is such a beautiful book. (laughs) And in chapter 3, sin is dealt with. You see, you have to, it's a progression though. You have to read, you have to understand what he's laying out there in those first seven chapters before you can appreciate In the third chapter, he deals with sin, dealt with, forgiven. In the sixth chapter of Romans, the old man is crucified with Christ. The flesh is dealt with. 
And then the seventh chapter, there's the law is set aside. And now there's nothing to accuse you. And then based on the fact that the sin is dealt with, the flesh is dealt with, there's no more law to condemn you. Therefore now, there's no condemnation. First Corinthians 13. My wife has, a, has that uh, passage of Scripture hanging on the wall. Uh, and it's it's right in front of my uh, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, elliptical. So I should see it more often than I do, but I read it often. <laughs> Some. <laughs> I'm going to read it a little more often. <laughs> Especially since summer's here, man. Woo! I can feel it. My eyeballs don't sweat without this extra 20 pounds. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter, affectionately. And he lays out all these wonderful things that we can do. We can sacrifice Everything that we have, our time, our resources, doing good. But without love, he says, it's all just useless. It's nothing. And you're nothing. <laughs> Paul sometimes got right to the point. <laughs> he says, if I have not love, I gain nothing. That's why you, you notice I don't. I don't preach on the tithe often. I, I, every year or so, I'll, I'll go through, I'll teach on money because I think you're entitled to know that God's plan for money because he, he has great plans for you and your money to help you, to bless you, and to build the kingdom. Amen. But I don't preach on it, and I don't have the basket up here, and I don't spend half the service preaching the offering. And you know that you are the biggest bunch of givers that I know. <laughs> Because if I, if I just guilted you into doing it and it wasn't motivated by love, it wouldn't profit you anything. Why would I do that to you? They used to preach at us and tell us, if you don't give more, God's going to take it out in doctor bills. Transmission's going to fall out of your car. And I sat there and you know, it was like the, the, the it's like I would just feel not sick. And I'd run back to God because He had promised. Remember when I took on the. I don't know how many of you heard my endless stories, but I, I had a little thing with God for a while when He called me to minister, and I was like, No, <laughs> sir. <laughs> and why? Why do you want me? I, I got a late start. There's a church on every corner. They all disagree. How do I know what to say? <laughs> he got quiet. All right, then. If, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to teach me. He said, okay. All right, sir. So anyway, I would run back. Every time I would hear something from the pulpit that wasn't true, it just made me feel sick. 
And that was him telling me, come talk to me about this when you're done. And I would run back to God and he would either tell me or show me or send me the proper teaching or teacher. And I would go, ah. And then I would, I would feel that, that umpire, that peace that is supposed to be the, the, what leads us in this life. You know? We have an unction, a knowing from the Holy Ghost. And we know all things. Now we have the mind of Christ in our born-again spirit. And if we learn how to use the proper dipper, we can take from that well any time we want to. God is faithful. Amen. Yes, amen. But have you ever read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where he says, after he says all the wonderful things you could do and it wouldn't matter if you didn't have love, he starts in the fourth verse. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not, irresist- it's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let me ask you, Isn't God love? Doesn't God love you? Isn't that how God thinks about you? Do you look at it when you read that? Do you think this is what I this is what I have to do? This is who I have to be? Or do you say, Love keeps no record of wrongs, and God is love, and God loves me. He keeps no record of my wrongs. He's patient with me. He'll never be arrogant or rude to me. He loves me. You should read it that way, folks. You know why? Because the way you've been reading it, trying to see how you had to act toward others, and it was impossible. You kept failing and running back to God, saying, I'm sorry, I'll try harder. It's never going to work that way. The way it will work is if you start reading it the way I'm telling you. And then out of the overflow of the love that God has for you. You'll love others the way that he wants you to. And it'll be real. It'll be real. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So faith is a heart issue. Devon would be jumping up and down if she was here right now. That's right. Heart of the matter. Heart of the matter. It's one of the first words she got when we were young. Real, when we really became Christians. <laughs> Another story. Heart of the matter. But faith is a heart issue. That doesn't mean, like I said, that faith doesn't make sense. It, it makes perfect sense for those of us who know God, have the Holy Ghost. It's, but what I'm saying is faith isn't just a head issue. It's a heart issue. You see? So I have to minister to people's hearts. Otherwise... I lose the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you see. 
You can't argue anyone into believing. So don't try. Remember I told you the story about how God, God told Billy Graham, you make a terrible Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not the judge, folks. People come to me all the time and they, and they when they find out I'm a pastor, they lead off with all their sins. I guess they're just waiting for me to judge them and condemn them so they can just get it over with and tell me to go, you know what, or whatever. And then when I don't, it really intrigues them, I think. And I'm saying, why are you telling me this for? I'm not your judge. Whoa. You're religious. I, oh, I'm not. Hallelujah. <laughs> I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was in a bad way, man. He came and saved me. And then they listened a little bit. I tell them, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not going to condone anything that is harmful to you. Same reason God doesn't. Because I love you. But I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury. I'm just a humble, I pray. <laughs> Sometimes humble servant. Witness. Just a witness. I just tell people about what God has done for me and what He can do for them and how much He longs to be a part of their life. And then I let the Holy Spirit do His job. Because that's what He's here for. And He does it perfectly. He's so kind and wise. You know, old Bartimaeus, I don't call him blind Bartimaeus because that's what he was. I don't want anyone calling me what I used to be. <laughs> I was blind too, but now I see. He knew Jesus would heal him. And he knew he would never need his beggar's clothes again. How convinced are you that Jesus will heal you? That he will change you? That he will deliver you? That he will provide for you and your needs? All your needs? Are you holding on to those old clothes just in case he doesn't. Are your memories still greater than your dreams? I think some of us think we will be doing our memories an injustice if our dreams are greater. It's not true. You can have both. I know it can be challenging too. A lot of pain in this life. But with God, like Peter said in that first sermon, he said, man, with Jesus there's times of refreshing. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's always good to look forward to with God. 
I talk to people all the time, either personally or indirectly through a loved one who just on the decline. And the first thing I say usually isn't spiritual. I usually tell them, well, they're dehydrated. Because most of us are. (laughs) And then I tell them it's because they've lost hope. They have no vision. They retired from life. Everyone they know is dead and they just... They need something to give their faith a target. They need to ask God to help them dream again. Because they can still be very useful. God can do more with one day in this life than we ever did with the rest of it. And one day, Joseph went from the bottom of that dungeon to second in command of Egypt. We have to be willing to allow the Lord to teach us to dream again sometimes. I know I did. It's just a matter really of meditating on God's promises until we see ourselves receiving whatever we need. That's a simple how-to. You have to see it. Just like Bartimaeus saw himself seeing before he could see. You have to see it and then let hope arise. That hope is the motivation for your faith. Amen. And then don't let that faith rest until it goes out and it accomplishes what it was sent to do. As long as it's something that Jesus paid for through the atonement for you to have, then don't settle for anything else. And while you're waiting, just ask Him to keep working on you. Lord, make me the man or the woman that you created me to be. Don't let me miss out on being or doing anything that you wrote in your book for me to do. The graveyard is full of treasure, folks. Then, knowing that you are a loved child of God, never let yourself go back to living a beggarly existence. Bartimaeus went from being a beggar to a believer that day. From a fan to a follower. So can we. We have a better covenant. With better promises. Amen. Amen. You know one time. I was. Trying to. Reconcile this. Wonderful salvation. With my past. And whether it could really be true. After all, everything in this life that I'd found that would seem too good to be true was. And then I'd come to this too good to be true, almost too good to be true gospel. And I just kept beating myself up. 
he was throwing fives at me everywhere, you know, and all that. Show me the grace that God was a real thing, and he loved me, and I had a dream. And I was in a courtroom, big, beautiful, sort of darkish courtroom. And I was standing there, and I had worked in and around that environment for over a decade when I was younger. So I was familiar with how that proceeding worked. I was the one standing before the bench. Not a good place to be. I knew I was painfully aware of my guilt, my shame. But I also knew how it worked, like I said. And I know that there's generally a judge there and or a jury, prosecutors, etc. And I lifted my head in shame and there was no judge there, no jury. No one to accuse me. No one to convict me. Because standing on my right side was the Lord Jesus Christ. He can clear a courtroom like that. When they hear the best lawyer ever is in town, they just don't even show up. Amen. Oh, how I wanted to go with him as he just turned and walked through the wall. I was pleading, reaching out for him. Ah, he was amazing. We're all going to see him one day, be with him forever. Just asking you to let him love you now. Let him draw you back into that first love, that relationship, that intimacy, that passionate, powerful, eternal life that he called you to. Amen? Amen. Because out of that stems all of the other things that he's called you to be and to do. That overflow of that love that he has for you. Amen. Buddy, I forgot to get you to come on. But praise the Lord. You're welcome to come on anyway. I want to mention something else today as Buddy plays gently. But I, you might notice that uh, this is not just to church as usual. I don't have any books that I have went and bought studied on what church is supposed to be like intentionally I did that because I noticed Jesus was sort of like that (laughs) and I just asked the Holy Spirit to just run this one and uh, if I ever failed to let him have his place to please give me that sickening feeling again and called me back to the throne to talk to him about it and I 
I feel the anointing right now. I always do here. I'm so thankful to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be His child. Just to be the conduit for this precious manna. You might notice that I don't do altar calls every week. And I don't, uh, I don't do a lot of things. I've been in some churches where I preached uh, on different occasions. And I'd go back a year or two later. And they'd do an altar call. And that same three people that, that were up there for the same three things they were up there bawling about two, three years ago were right there in line again. And then that pastor, he'd start praying and uh, he'd push them down, you know. They always had somebody back there to catch them, though. If I ever am called to pray for you and I feel that anointing, I don't want anybody behind you catching you. If you fall... It'll be under the power of the Holy Spirit. And He's well capable of taking care of you. I don't mind you falling down. But when you get up, there better be something different about you. And when I don't do altar call the time, it's because I feel like everyone in the room is either saved or they're not ready to be saved. But if you need prayer... If any of you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I just ask you to come forward right now. Everyone that Jesus ever called, He did it publicly. Take care of that right now. That's what I thought. Any of you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need that too. If you want it, I'm happy to discuss it with you, talk to you about it, help you to help you to receive that I just want you to know mostly I love you God loves you and God has great things in store for this little family of believers the end times church is a beautiful bride of Christ she'll be adorned with all the gifts of the spirit and love and power and victory And you can thank God that you're part of that. I believe that we've already entered into a third great awakening. Beginning stages. And it's just going to get... That light's going to shine brighter and brighter. And that fire's going to burn hotter and hotter. That's holy fire of God. So you can just give the Lord a shout and a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for the precious anointing that rests on me and on your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the enemy will not be able to steal this word from these, your precious children. That it will take root and bear fruit in their lives. And they will go out and minister the love of God to others out of the overflow they have received from you. In Jesus' name, amen.